track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. He got it. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and Touch the ball, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Wrestling Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back to another episode of WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me as always is my buddy Marcus. Marcus, how are you? JT, I'm doing great, man. Uh, happy to be here winding down the season with you. Uh, I feel like we got a big one tonight. Uh, kind of snuck up on us a little bit. Um, but yeah, man, um, looking forward to covering this last show of the season and our awards. Pretty crazy, another season. It's already set to wrap up for us. Uh, this is what number one, two, three, four, five, six. The sixth one we would have completed already. So, not too bad. It's been an interesting season. There's been some middling stuff, but there's also been a lot of fun stuff to revisit too. And this is a, a pretty well remembered mania. I feel like. I think usually most people have a pretty good, um, just history, you know, historical views on WrestleMania 21. I think the build-up has been pretty solid, just from a straight pay-per-view point of view. Rumble was excellent. It's one of our top shows. No Way Out, kind of a little bit rougher, but I think we're in a pretty good spot coming into here. Like, it's it's clear we've known for a while that John Cena was obviously being set up to be ascending at this show. And then it became clear over the last couple of pay-per-views that Batista was also going to be headed that way. Mm -hmm. One interesting thing that we haven't seen a lot of, and we'll talk about it, is we haven't really... Between you and I, going to see a lot of build for Sean and Kurt. No, no, right, because we're not doing the TV. So uh, all I really got to see was uh, the piece of business at the Rumble. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and then we'll see how the rest of it flows. So let's dive in. WrestleMania 21. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, I guess we should level set what this show's about. Uh, we are going through every Dodi WWF pay-per-view in history. We're doing it in a season format. So as you've heard us talking about already here, of course, WrestleMania ends the season for us. We start with the pay-per-view following WrestleMania, and then 
the following Mania ends the season. So for this season, we started at Backlash 2004, ends at WrestleMania 21. We break down every pay-per-view in a series of categories. And uh, we assign pluses, we assign minuses, and then we net out that score. And that gives us a total duty war score um, for that pay-per-view. So if you think of it as the plus is anything that's above what we consider to be a replacement level, which would be an average match, just a normal crowd reaction, basic commentary, you know, that would be considered kind of replacement level, right? So that gets no points from us. If it's better than that, it gets a point. If it's worse than that, we take away a point. And then each category gets a net score. Uh, Marcus, you want to just quickly refresh the categories? Absolutely. Uh, Our first category is the build, uh, build up to the event, followed by the commentary, the atmosphere of the event, notable moments and importance that happen, our match grades, which you discussed, the card structure, rewatchability, which is more so moments and spots that happen during the night that are worth going back and checking out or not checking out, and all-time matches, which for us, for for it to be a plus, is anything that we both agree is 4.25 or 4.25 and and above, and for a minus, it is anything that is 0.75 and below, and again, that is a consensus tally. Yes. Uh, So then we net out the score, and then we're stack ranking all of these events on an all-time list to see where they hold up. I'd say right now, the mid-range of the fulcrum is probably, what, like, between 8 and 13-ish, maybe somewhere in there at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, skewing more toward that 13. I'd say, like, 11 to 13, really, is probably the tight midpoint window um, of where we stand. So we'll see how WrestleMania 21 stacks up, because, again, it's remembered historically pretty well. We'll see how it uh, lands on the big list. So we'll go through all the matches to start, and... uh, Marcus, we'll take your grade, we'll take my grade, we'll take the average of that, and then whatever the distance is from two and a half, which is considered a replacement level average match, every match will get a plus or a minus. So if our average grade of a match is four, an average match would be two and a half, so that's 1.5 higher, so that gets a plus 1.5. So we do that for all the matches on a card, net that out, and that's the total match grade score. So here we go. WrestleMania 21. April 3rd, 2005, from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, 20,193. In attendance are announcers Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, and Taz. So both boots uh, here from TV. And we have a uh, dark match, which was a 30-man battle royal featuring both brands. Booker T won that. And then we head into our actual show, and we open up with Rey Mysterio taking on Eddie Guerrero. So this uh, coming in was an interesting match. They had just become, uh, I think they were already tag team champions, right? Or no, not yet, but they were just partners already. Or had they? Uh, nope, they were already tag team champions. Yeah, okay, one month so. back yeah. down. Yeah. So they're already tag team champions, and it was an interesting feud because they kind of carried a bit from their WCW days in the story, right? They played up that Eddie always had a hard time and and just couldn't never beat Ray. Um, I think they fudged it a little bit because he does beat Ray at a pretty big pay-per-view in WCW. Yeah. Um, but they played it up like he's always struggled with him. And it starts to become a pride thing that he just can't beat Ray. So they end up challenging each other here on the big stage. They open the show with it, which seemed, you know, fantastic idea. I think going in, many people thought this could definitely challenge for best opener uh, in media history to date to this point. Right. I think that was probably a thought coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a, a pretty good back and forth. I think one thing that really stands out in this match is Ray's mask. Uh, 
I found I found this time around it didn't bother me as much, but I remember live and subsequent viewings. You you can notice it. Like whatever is wrong with it, I don't know if it's loose or it just wasn't set right. He's constantly adjusting it all through yeah. the match, even yeah, in mid move a lot of time. He's like reaching up and adjusting it. Um, so that always was kind of annoying in this one. Ray ends up winning with a West Coast pop. So he beats him clean. They shake hands. So not much animosity here, but you could feel like maybe, okay. Like, is there a little something brewing potentially inside Eddie that he can't beat Ray here? Um, I thought the match was very good. I don't think it maybe eclipsed the heights that folks were hoping it to reach. You know, they have the memory of the WCW matches in mind. Mm-hmm. Halloween Havoc 97 or five stars. I think they fight at World War Three as well. You know, it's yeah. like there's some great matches that they have. This doesn't quite get to those standards. You know, Eddie, even though he was still putting out some really good stuff in 04, was clearly starting to break down a bit, put up, put on some bulk. Like, I don't think he had in him to have the type of match that we had seen in the past with them. So that that didn't help. And Ray as well, too, just wasn't yeah. the same, even though he does have a lot of fast-paced stuff to come still. So, all in all, it's a really good opener. I went three and a half. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm right there with you, a little, little tick behind uh, 3.25. And I think for me, it's just um, part of the booking always bothered me of, like, Eddie trying to chase Ray, mm-hmm. but Ray's the quote-unquote ultimate underdog. Uh, so it always just bothered me kind of how like Rey Mysterio, well, he keeps winning, keeps winning. He's such an underdog. Like, that's not really how underdogs work. Like at some point, if you keep winning, you're not really an underdog, like the right, Tampa Bay right. Rays, like <laughs> not really underdogs anymore. Like, you know, yeah, so like, why is Eddie right? Why is Ray the underdog if he wins all the time? Right. And so I think in smaller? order, yeah, for where we're going for this, always thought like if Eddie's the one that keeps winning and Ray finally beats him, that win means more. And then if. Eddie eventually snaps on Ray because he lost the one match that would mean a lot more. Like then you can sell the embarrassment. Like, right. You know, he's such a sore sport and he can't take, you know, can't take losing just one time. Um, as opposed to he keeps losing and losing and losing. Well, when he snaps, that's a logical, (laughs) it's a logical action. Um, but that notwithstanding, uh, it's still a really good match. Um, again, it doesn't get to like that great level, but, uh, to see these two, um, you know, make it out of WCW and survive like the turbulence afterwards, um, and to see them on this major stage, uh, it's pretty cool. So, uh, three and a quarter for me. Um, and to this point, like, I mean, even though we had hopes that maybe it challenges like a Bretton Owen, I mean, it still might be a top three opener. In media history, like to this point, right? I would think so. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I think ones in its wake would be, or in its area would be like Jericho and Regal. Yeah, this blows by it. I think RVD Regal, which was good. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, say I mean, to this point, this is the second. I would say this is the second or third best. Yeah. Ray and Hardy at 19. Make that's close. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, this it's is, up there. Oh, Rockers, Haku, and Barbarian beats it, I think. Mm. But it's up there. It's top three or four out of the 21 to this point. Um, all right, what's uh, what's our next match? Uh, our next match is a little bit of history. It is the inaugural Money in the Bank ladder match. 
um, concept that we're all very familiar with now, but this is where it got started. As we have Edge, Chris Jericho, Kane, Shelton Benjamin, Chris Benoit, and Christian all participating. Edge is going to pick up the win and become the inaugural Mr. Money in the Bank. Uh, this is an offshoot of the like proverbial ladder match that kind of gets all the upper mid-card guys on the show mm-hmm. and gives them a purpose. And I think... Originally going into this, I was kind of like, oh, it's time to watch Money in the Bank. Because, like, this is one of those matches I feel like I've seen a bunch. But, like, right. re-watching it through our method, I really have a brand new appreciation for this match. And you look in the guys at this match, and I think you have, like, Shelton. He's, he's like, your big spot guy. Other than that, it's a lot of guys that are, you know, in their midway point, prime, post-prime of their career. And I don't think anybody's exactly trying to, <laughs> um, you know, go out there and have WrestleMania uh, 2000 with the ladders. Like, everybody wants to have a good match, I think. But we're not trying to um, have that huge WrestleMania moment of, like, right. Edge spearing somebody off the top of the ladder or something ridiculous. So, um, that said, the story is very focused. It's about, like, getting the ladder into the ring at first. And then from there, it's the struggle of, like, trying to set up the ladder. And then it's trying to, like, get up the ladder. So, the match has a beautiful progression uh, in a story that follows, which is not really what we get now. It's more so like spot, 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 spot. So, um, given that there is like a clear, cohesive story to follow along and just how all the spots built. And it was really focused on like the practicality and the brutality of the ladder. Um, I wanted the full five. I just think that it's, it's so influential. Um, and I think going back and, and looking at it, it really does set the standard for what we expect out of the money in the bank ladder match. Um, and I just think, uh, it lived up to and surpassed all the hype for me. So a full five for me. I mean, great star power too. It's a, it's a loaded match. And we talked about this year still, you know, in the moment it's feeling like, oh, it's, it doesn't have the same star power in the company as like 94, 90, as, um, 98, 99, 2001. But like, there's still a lot of big names and a lot of them are in this match. <clears throat> and you're right. It is, um, a lot of guys. As a maybe not be big spot monkey, high flyer type guys, right? Like Shelton is the big spot dude. Um, but the rest are, are definitely a little bit more of the uh, mat based or brawling. And in those ways, it, it felt like it channeled the old Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon WrestleMania 10 ladder match, right? That was less high spots and more brutality. And that's what they go for here. The end is interesting because you would think okay, we'll get like some kind of crazy bump or a high spot because that's kind of what's been conditioned through the TLCs and all those. But it ends up being, like, pretty nasty because Benoit's, like, arm selling is godlike throughout this whole match. Like, it's, yep. it's awesome. And he's climbing with one arm, and the other one's hanging. He's grimacing. Edge just gets a chair and smashes that arm that's hanging. Benoit falls in pain, and Edge just takes the briefcase. <laughs> so it's, like, mm-hmm. it's such a well-done finish. They didn't need to do anything crazy. It was just the psychology and story of the match was built around a lot of it was built around Benoit's arm. So like you just you knew um, he was so banged up and just seeing him climb and climb slowly with that one arm was like a really cool moment. I think. Yeah. And I think Edge winning was the right choice. Definitely. Definitely. Like he's he's the guy who needs the win. And I remember there was like rumblings after this event that like Benoit had really hurt his shoulder and like he was going to be out <laughs> For a sustained amount of time 
uh, that's how good the selling was. Yeah, I was on point. So I went four and a half, a um, little, little below the perfect grade. It's just, I don't even know what is missing from it, but just to me, it's just not a five-star match watching, you know, you get the gut feel, but it's close. It's really close. Um, I really enjoyed watching it this time. Like you said, you're looking for different stuff and it really stood out and everyone, everyone really pulled their weight too. I remember when Kane was added to this at the time, it was kind of like, Oh God, like he's going to drag it down, but he was a good base throughout the match for mm-hmm. sure. So no one felt like they didn't belong. Everyone got spots. Everyone got the shine and it was a good use of all these guys. All right. Um, so after this isn't a match, but I think it's a big enough segment that we should probably talk about it here. So Eugene comes out, he's still injured. He's got the, got a knee brace on, you know, we talked about the injury back in new year's revolution. He comes out, uh, he comes out and then out come Muhammad Hassan and Davari. So they don't have a match here tonight, but they're out there talking about how they're going to create a WrestleMania moment. And he's going to beat the shit out of Eugene. <laughs> so he knocks him down. He goes for the Kemba clutch and real American fires up. The crowd goes insane. It's all Kogan comes out cleans house and does his you know shirt ripping and pose and all that so i think this is the way you're going to use hogan if you're going to use him at this show he had gone to the hall of fame the night before so you knew he was going to do something here and instead of putting him in a match or whatever like i think this is fine you could argue that you know Hassan's getting a big push and you pretty much squashed him but whatever it's hogan and mania it could happen um so this is a good use of everyone. Okay, Eugene, a spot on the show, as much as he's been maligned to you and I, I mean, he was a big part of the season. So, like, you can see why they felt maybe he deserved a little bit of a moment at Mania, given how integral he was to most of the proceedings at 04 and 05. And then a good use of Hogan. I like that they did it early in the show, too. Yeah. Um, while the crowd was, like, super hot, let him, let him come out here and, and feed off the hot crowd. Um and it's early too, where like he's not gonna kill the crowd for something bigger, like late in the show, you know. So I think it was a good spot and overall a pretty good segment. Yeah, this is a good way to get Hogan on the card. Um, agree with everything that you said. You know, I think we're all kind of hoping for a match from the Hulkster at this point in time, uh, going up against Hassan, but uh, wasn't in the card. So if you can't do a match, I think this is a well, just yet. I mean, just yeah, yet it wasn't. Yeah, yet. <laughs> um, so like, give given that the where we're at in time uh, with Hogan's recovery and, um, you know, him not being able to do a match yet. This is as, as good as you, you know, could have wanted to be. So um, I didn't think it was a, a hindrance really to the show too much. Um, you know, Eugene has, uh, you know, we'll get to him, I think, a little bit later on uh, when we do our awards. Um, but overall, I thought, you know, this segment uh, served a purpose to get Hogan out there and uh, let everybody experience Hulkamania. All right, so following that, we do go back to the ring, and it's a pretty good match. It's Undertaker taking on Randy Orton. We spent a lot of time, Marcus, in this season talking about Orton um, and where he stands. Of course, you know, he, he, when we started the season, he was super over as a heel and got even more over. Uh, beat McFoley, had the series with Edge, beats Benoit SummerSlam, wins the world title. It looks like we're going rocket ship. They kick him out of Evolution, Triple H beats him, his face... Uh, stance proceeds to kind of flail without the belt starts to get overshadowed by Batista who comes off as much more cool before you know it Orton's jobbing at the rumble and Batista's getting the title match of mania that many assumed Orton would be getting because you figure Orton was going to get here and, and regain his belt and that was a story from Unforgiven 
but Batista ends up getting hotter than him. So a few weeks before this, they decided to turn him back heel. Like, you know, they have him at first basically say, I'm going to challenge Undertaker and end the streak, right? That's pretty much how it starts. Then he ends up attacking Stacey Keebler, who had been kind of his romantic link on the show. Um, and they really microwaved to seal run. His dad uh, was inducted to the Hall of Fame the night before. And we end up seeing him here, which was a really cool moment. He comes out and uh, hits Taker with the cast. So that was that was a fun moment. And, you know, I think to this point, it's Taker's best Mania match. Right? Am I uh, overthinking that? You've got, uh, well, I guess no. you got Flair. I guess it depends what you think of Flair. The Flair so I went. I, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think the Flair match, I think some people trend high on the Triple H WrestleMania 17 match as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would think this is at least on par, if not better, than the Diesel match uh, at its lowest point. Yeah, so I went four on this. I'd have to look at what I had Diesel taker at when uh, Chad and I did Warzone. I'm guessing it might have been four. Um, yeah, the, the Triple H 17 match is good. I think it's a little overrated. By most, the the crash pad really hurt. <laughs> <You're upset laughs> well, it's commonplace. They're just ahead of their time. The fact that they showed it, I, I should say, yeah. it wasn't that they used one. I'm all for it, safety, but <laughs> Some like, multiple angles. <laughs> yeah, them showing it was like a pretty <laughs> he big drops gap. the elbow. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so I went with three seven. Uh, I went four for WrestleMania 12. So okay. Uh, to me, it's at least on par with that. I haven't watched him in Flair in a while enough to to grade it. Um modern times uh but i would say probably i had that around there as well so it's it's probably a top three for him so far it, it, we could say that com- comfortably uh but orton was great like this is a complete rehab of him after all the scuffling he went through at, at the tail end of the face fraud i think he's much more comfortable in this role as a heel i think they should have never changed him we talked about that they should have kept him that way despite how over he was i think they should have followed the rock method from 98 do the fake the fake out face turn and then have him end up being a heel like two months later or whatever to reestablish him. I think that would have been the way to go mm-hmm. versus just trying to push him as the top baby face. So um, he just fits better at this point as that smarmy heel. So I think we're back to that. This is way better than the original taker plan, right? Which was him and Kane versus Snitsky and Heidenreich. <laughs> I believe that was the original on the books oh, mania match yeah. with him. So uh, this definitely gets taker a much better one on his resume than we would have gotten. But no, this is great. I thought this held up well as two, uh, four for me. Yeah, I've been uh, a bit more of a Randy Orton apologist this season. Uh, I still have <laughs> hope and conviction that uh, the face run could have worked uh, if he would allow, if he was allowed to be uh, cooler and tougher than uh, the main heel that he was going up against, <clears throat> Triple H. Uh, but that said, we're back on track. Uh, he's back being a heel. He's in his most comfortable role. Um, and it's all clicking, right? It's all just, you know, it might be a little cookie cutter, but it's all done really well. Like the legend killing stuff and and needing to slay the biggest legend of them all at WrestleMania and take the streak. Uh, so yeah, he's been he's been renovated really well. Uh, I went four and a quarter on this match, and I think for me that that um, RKO out of the choke slam counter uh, for its mm-hmm. time, like that was we weren't getting like super super counter moves out of finishers all the time um so that one really stood out for the time and it it still holds up so uh i think just that spot alone and the placement and um 
you know, get the cowboy Bob in there, everything. I just thought it was well executed. Uh, so it's four and a quarter for me. Do you think this should have been where they end the streak? Uh, I say, yeah. Um, I, I, I think so. Just because if you fast forward to 2014, 2015, whatever, like when we're getting to the time of like, oh, uh, who should take the streak? You know, should anybody ever beat them? Well, everybody wanted somebody who's young, somebody who's reliable, mm-hmm. somebody who's going to be there, somebody who's also already over, like somebody who can take this and like be put over the top. And like Randy Orton checks all those boxes. I never thought CM Punk did. I never thought Brock Lesnar needed it. Like on and on and on. Um, I thought Orton should have been the guy and would have got the most juice out of that. But um, how'd you feel? Yeah, at the time, I thought for sure. Um, it's just tough because the streak still wasn't like a big thing yet. They kind of started to hear a little bit that he wants to be the guy to beat him for the first time. I feel like they don't really start booking matches around it until, I guess, Edge, right? They start doing kind of title versus streak with that. Um, yeah, so it's a big deal at this point, but it's not like the draw that it becomes. So I don't know if, like, the matches we get that end up being great with, like, Sean and stuff, like, do those have the same value to them if Taker's not undefeated? Mm. So it's, like, a weird stance because I agree that Orton's probably the guy, the type of guy that you'd want it to be. You just think maybe the timing was off? The timing was off because I think you want to get more years out of it. I guess. Yeah. Because it's tough, like the Undertaker attraction match became a bigger, right, it's a bigger deal than title matches even most years, so it's hard to sacrifice that. By a certain point, I started taking the stance that they shouldn't break it. I actually thought that by the end, for a while I kept saying, okay, they need to have someone break it, it should get broken, this and that, but by the end, I actually had the stance that I think there's actually more value in never breaking it. Mm -hmm. Um. Because you can still promote it as having been undefeated. You can do that until the end. Um, you can have other people chase it, right? If you have a young guy that you know is going to be around for a while, you can try to do a multi-year storyline with him trying to chase it and break it. And I thought by the time Brock broke it, like the value in having Taker just be undefeated by that point was more than like anyone was going to get by ending it. And I, yeah. it, it, you know, maybe Wyatt, the next year could have been the guy if they wanted to, if Brock hadn't, but I don't know. I kind of feel like he should have just retired undefeated at that point. He has ended up losing again anyway, right? Doesn't he only, he loses only it to, one, right? uh, Brock and then to Roman at uh, Roman, 30, okay. 33. Right. So that's it though. So, I mean, two, like just go zero. It's <laughs> just about that much, you know, I don't know. I think there was a tipping point in there somewhere. And it might have been at this point before it becomes a thing. But then again, you lose out of years of it being a draw. So what's worth more money? Orton beating him here at Mania? I don't know. Orton's career turned out just fine, right? I don't think yeah. he needed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there was more money in the long-term chase of who's going to beat him. Being a selling point for all these Manias later. Yeah. And they should have kept that going. Yeah. All right. What's all right. next? Uh, we have, uh, another streak of sorts as, uh, Trish Stratus, uh, takes on Christy Hemi 
the debuting uh, at WrestleMania, Christy Hemi, uh, for the women's title. Um, this, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. This was not nearly as bad as I remembered. Um, mm. In fact, it was approaching good. Um, and not just good because, like, oh, it's it's not as bad as I remember. Like, no, it was actually good. And I just don't know if um, coming off of, like, Undertaker Orton and, like, the expectations that, like, okay, this is, like, the breather match before we get to, like, another big match or, um, you know, just having seen Christy Hemi be somewhat physical on TV um, and just knowing, like, this is way too soon for her, if you kind of have your mind already made up about a match before you even see it. But um, this was... Trish's, um, what do you call those things where you put like a a big uh, uh, like dead animal or whatever on on the on the wall, <laughs> like yeah, your yeah. big trophy, right? Like this is yeah. Trish's like trophy match. Like she went out there with somebody who had no business uh, being in the ring, let alone at WrestleMania, uh, and let alone in a title match. And Trish went out there and got a more than passable match out of her. Um, so yeah, I went two and a quarter, uh, and it, it was of course like a, a little bit of a let me down from our previous match, but, um, it didn't, it didn't take the show off the rails. Like I, I thought they even over delivered a little bit and, and Trish did a good job of keeping this match on the rails. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Uh, it definitely was not as bad as I had recalled it being in the past. I thought Christy did a good job of really not making, you know, not, not, she was embarrassing herself, right? Like we've seen her do some pretty bad stuff so far, the match with Carmella and all this other stuff. But I thought, you know, she held up her own, but a hundred percent Trish completely, uh, you know, dictated and carried this match. And that's something you wouldn't have expected. Like Jake is talking a lot about Trish, right? And Ruthless Aggressive Podcast here every other Tuesday. And that's an era where she's really starting to grow and piece it together. And here she is, you know, two years later, right? He's about to cover us May 19, two years later, covering a completely green worker all on her own uh, to a five minute watchable match. Like they were smart. They kept it tight. It was kind of like, you know, you're out there with a rookie quarterback, right? You want to keep the game plan kind of simple. They did a good job of not overstepping uh, what they were trying to do. So give them five minutes, keep it basic, keep it simple. You know, don't do anything too crazy where they may botch or mess up, right? Just just keep it to the basics. And that's what they did. And they ended up having a fine enough match. Um, obviously, you know, I think this was supposed to be Lita, right? Lita yeah. and Trish. Lita's injury screwed that up. Um, so Chris ends up being the proxy. Lita's out there. So whatever. Um, it's fine. Could you argue Trish maybe deserved better given how great she was in her, you know, inaugural heel year? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were disappointed not to do Trish Lita. I don't know who else they could have thrown in last minute. Maybe they could have tried to heat Victoria back up or something, but, um, you know, I think going Christie was fine. Just have her be abusive to the, the rookie. Like, I think that was a fine way to go. So I went two stars. Again, it was good. Just nothing. It, it was nothing worse than you would expect it to be. Put it that yeah. way. It's funny you mentioned Victoria because that's who I would have uh, plugged in here as well. Right. All right, so the match we mentioned earlier is next. Shawn Michaels taking on Kurt Angle. I loved the build to this, uh, where Kurt was trying to outdo everything Shawn did before beating him at Mania. 
So he brings back Sensational Sherry, sings uh, Sexy Kurt. <laughs> She's with him. Um, then he fights Mario Gennetti on, on uh, SmackDown. That was awesome. That led to the Rocker reunion uh, where the Rockers took out Larry Zestanza on Raw, which is really cool. Um, so I thought they, they were pretty uh, creative with the build to this. And it really was just all about Kurt Angle wanting to prove he could beat Mr. WrestleMania at WrestleMania. Like, that's the whole story coming in. And they deliver. I do think there's some pieces you can't overlook. Um, I know there's thoughts out there. This is like some have this at five stars. Uh, I have it four and a half because I do think I do think the end um, is a little bit messy. And it's not one of those ones that it's like talked about too much to the point where it's over talked about. You know, Um, I think it's legitimately griped about for a reason. Michael's ankle and leg is like beaten to a pulp and then he's in the ankle lock just for way too long. Um, even with the heel hook, there was just no need for it. He's in it for like two minutes. No one has ever survived that long. And Sean's not usually the type of guy to like sit in submissions forever and have to like, that's a triple H thing, you know, like if this is him, <laughs> I get it. But like, it's not a typical Sean move to like say, okay, I'm going to, I have to prove that I'm too tough for your ankle lock. Like that's not him. So I don't get, I don't know, but um, the only other negative gripe to me is not on there, but it's more, again, a effed up camera angle when he does the angle slam to the post Mm -hmm. looks awesome in real time. And then they show the, the other angle and like he hits his leg. Yeah. (laughs) And like JR and cake, you'd have to cover for it. Like, Oh, you know, graze his leg or whatever. Um, It took away all the impact, but, it's an awesome match. It's like, you know, if you're into the go-go style of these, both these guys, you're going to love it. Uh, you know, 27 minutes. And it, to me, it didn't feel 27. It moves really fast. And it's the type of classic you were ho- they were hoping for that would carry this show. You're banking on these guys to deliver, and they, they absolutely delivered. Yeah, when it comes to the style of match, which is more about the athleticism, um, I think this is one of those template matches that uh, people want to follow or should follow. Um, that said, I don't know how timeless this match is. Um, I could see this one getting dinged a little bit more as time goes on. Um, and yeah, I, sh- I share your sentiments about Sean sitting in the ankle lock for so long. Um, I think it would have been much more effective if Kurt like slaps it on and, uh, gets the grapevine on and then Sean taps like immediately. Like that's the shocker. That's a surprise. That's the moment. It's not, uh, you know, sitting with Sean for two minutes while his ankle hurts. So I went four and a quarter, um, which gives us our first, uh, or our second, uh, our mm-hmm. second all time classic all time match on this card. Um, this season has been, Pretty good to Shawn Michaels, um, with the exception of Bad Blood. Um, I've tried to be very fair uh, to Mr. Michaels, as I'm mm-hmm. uh, not his biggest fan. But uh, this season, I think you really see this might be the season where people kind of take this season and spread it out across his entire comeback and think that like this is what it was like the whole time. So as we do other seasons, I'll be uh, kind of tracking that and keeping an eye on, you know, does the rest of the comeback live up to this 04, 05 season? Um, I think 05 to 06 will. Okay. Um, you know, I think those could be looked at as his best 
stretch. Honestly, I'd, I'd say 03 as well. Um, I'd say from WrestleMania 19 through WrestleMania 22 is like probably his, his best stuff other than the Taker matches. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, this was and the Jericho feud. Yeah, you just there's a lot. All right, yeah, he's got a couple couple good matches in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my thing is just it's it's mm. lacking in story a little bit. Um, but again, like the whole purpose of this match was, uh, it's it's two guys and they're trying to outdo each other, and you know what you're getting with Sean, um, and if, even to Kurt, uh, Kurt can definitely be uh, Captain Go 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 too. So um, that said, it's just not my cup of tea, brother, but. This is still an outstanding uh, all-time classic. So off of that, we have another segment. It's a pretty big one. We have Piper's Pit. Uh, we have Carlito and Steve Austin as guests of Piper's Pit. And I don't know. This one to me was one that always felt lacking. And my mind didn't change too much. Um, it just feels like you get two of the greatest talkers ever. And one of the current best talkers in Carlito. And it feels like almost there was like too much pressure to deliver and they just kind of don't do anything <laughs> like, it doesn't really go anywhere they kind of just bar back and forth a little bit piper spits the apple austin stuns everyone and that's it we're out so it was good i mean it's cool seeing piper and austin like you, know, you could argue piper was a prototype austin a decade before him so like that's cool but this one didn't hit with me as much as like hogan being out being up Hassan did. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe this isn't as good as the segment we saw earlier. Um, maybe some of it's just Piper not, uh, as uh, as I'm seeing with uh, you and Chad covering uh, on Wrestling Warzone. Um, Piper might have lost his fastball on the mic uh, many moons ago. So I don't think, like, when you say Roddy Piper and Stone Cold mm-hmm. Steve Austin, it's not what you... It, the output's not what you expect, and it's not the Roddy, Roddy Piper that you expect. So, um, I did think, I guess this was my main takeaway, was even with a star like Roddy Piper, uh, Vince McMahon still views Stone Cold Steve Austin as his biggest star. Um, right. And I think that is going to greatly influence my GWWE list. Um, this segment kind of like was like a shining light for me. Like, oh, that's 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 really interesting. So, um, yeah, that was my main takeaway. Cool to see Carlito get a spot. Um, he is somebody who might be a bit of a irrational favorite mm-hmm. for me. I just always love Carlito. Bummed he got hurt. Um, bummed like I really think he could have been a big player um, for our last half of the season. But that said, still like he's been. He's been on these pay-per-views. He's just not wrestling. Like he's been doing the, the, uh, uh, the the clipboard gimmick and stuff like that, and pounding around uh, with the heels. So uh, yeah, he definitely deserves a spot on the show for sure. I mean, he was a pretty decent piece of the back end of '04, so I think it was worthwhile to give him something. Like I said, I mean, he's, he is one of the best current talkers. So coming in on paper, you think this was gonna pop, given the three guys involved, but. Again, it just it feels like they didn't know where to go with it. So um it doesn't really have the magic of the Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Piper's pit. Uh, uh, uh Robert Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. Um <laughs> Mr. Downey. Brother. 
uh, you know, in Brother Love. Like, that was, you know, that's kind of an all-time classic. This one definitely falls short of that. But um, All right, what's up next? Uh, our next contest, if you can call it that, it's the uh, big sumo match between Aki Bono and The Big Show. Uh, they did a good amount of, I don't know if it could, but they, they did some build-up, at least to get us here a little bit, uh, with Big Show uh, tipping over the car. Uh, I think that was on the... Ah, oh, man, I can't remember. For some reason, I thought that was a UK SmackDown, but maybe not. Um, but, yeah, I know Big Show, like, tips over a Jeep, uh, and they do the videos, like, show Naki Bono. So, um, they have a sumo match. I gave it a, a star and a half, one and a half for us. Um, it wasn't completely abysmal. And I think a big part of that was commentary, which we'll get to mm-hmm. uh, another half of this. But other than that, I didn't have any any takeaways. I gave it a one. Um, yeah, like I'm fine with it. it it's a mania level spectacle. Akibona's a big name. It's kind of like what else are you gonna do a big show anyway? Uh, might as well put him in something like this. I don't see where else he would have fit the card. I mean, could you have stuck him in money in the bank? I guess maybe and let him be the real big base uh, for everyone else. But like, there's no big names. I guess you'd have to look at the battle royal listing to see like whether any real big. Names left off. So here's who's in the Battle Royal. London, Heidenreich, Spike, Nunzio, Funaki, Bashams, Orlando Jordan, Marjan Drack, Luther Reigns, Scotty Tuhati, Hardcore Holly, Charlie Haas, Billy Kidman, Nakio, Simon Dean, William Regal, Jerry, Rob Conway, Grenier, Snitsky, Hurricane Rosie, Viscera, Rhino, Val, Tyson Tomko, and Maven. So, I mean, like, you know, some of the cruisers, you could argue, probably decide, you know, uh, could have been deserved to be on the main card given how they were in 04. Guys like London, Spike, you know, carried a lot of that back end of 04. Regal was really good in there with the Eugene stuff. So there's a few guys in this, but no one jumps out as like a big show match, right? No. Unless you do like a spectacle with Big Show and Heidenreich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or you could do something with Booker. I mean, he's in there, right? So I don't know. I think I think this is fine. That said, it's it is what it is. It's nothing. It doesn't end up being like super fun or anything. Like if it's not on the card, I'm fine too. Yeah, I would have been fine not seeing Akibono in the diaper. And at least it's short enough. Like this they do keep it. Yeah. Uh, I always forget too that it's like before seeing a JBL. I always think it's in between those two matches as like a palate cleanser. But I like the way they did it. Um, Kind of the cool down off of Angle Michaels to reset for Cena, I think, made sense. Yeah. So that does bring us to our semi-main event. John Cena versus JBL for the WWE title. Cena's been really ramping his way up uh, all through 04 and 05. JBL's been on a pretty epic odyssey as champion. He won that back in May. We've chronicled his whole reign. There's been some stinkers. There's been some good stuff. He's been pretty consistent. This match, to me has always been super disappointing. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying like, you know, this is the school of thought that, oh, they should have had the Judgment Day match here with all like, you know, the one of Judgment Day is the I quit with the blood and weapons. I get why mm-hmm. they didn't do something like that here, right? Like Mania is already pretty jam-packed. We still have a main event to go. You're not going to have a 20-minute weapons bloody match like on, on the next to last match. I'm fine saving that for the, the next month to try and sell the, the card, right? What's always bothered me is that JBL's entire reign has been built around the cabinet, 
him busting out all the stops to win, doing whatever it takes. And like, he completely abandons that game plan here. Like that's, what's worked for you all this time. I, I at least expected that. I at least expected the kitchen sink, like outcomes, Atlanta, Jordan, outcome, the Bashams, you know, whatever, like, and, and seen as fight them all off, fight them all off. And then finally hits the FU and wins the title. Like, give me that. At least that's JBL's whole reign. This just ended up feeling like so anticlimactic. He only goes 11 minutes. It's like, after all JBL went through this beat him an 11 minute match with an FU, like it felt like he's been through so much. It was completely underwhelming. And I feel that they would have been better served to not have seen a win a title here. Hmm. I actually would have went DQ. I would have had JBL get DQ'd because everyone's expecting Cena to win. And we know we're getting Batista winning later. So like Cena's going to get maybe a little bit overshadowed. Do we really need it? What you could do is have JBL, you know, sneak out as champ somehow still. And then set the remaster judgment day and have Cena win there in the big crazy Mm. where he, they do that because JBL you know, stole another escape here. So he, he uses the cabinet, gets DQ'd, so they set up the rematch where it's no DQ in May. I think that's one way you could have went about it. I know this mania is all about crowning the two two new guys, the young guys, but in retrospect, I don't think it would have hurt seeing it wait another month. I think JBL gets even more heat. It's kind of overlooked a little bit, and the match ends up being kind of shitty. So, you know. I guess one route would be to have the Judgment Day match here, but again, I don't. I think that would have been almost too much on this card in a way, which sounds weird, but I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, and yeah, yeah, I went two and a half. Yeah, I think if you have the Judgment Day match here, which you could do, mm-hmm. but it has to main event, right? Like true main event, it has to go on last. Yeah, yeah. And as we've seen this season, Batista's star power just eclipses Cena at this time. Right. Um, he's just more ready if that's what you want to say um i don't hate the idea of jbl getting dq'd um but i also see their point where they're not messing with the money like you don't mess up the the typical build with cena you know um you know being next to last or being being the bridesmaid in the rumble and then winning the title shot against angle and now JBL, like you don't you don't mess up that trajectory, right? But like, where's the where's the payoff to the last? I mean, basically what we've seen this whole season almost. Um, where's the payoff to that? Where's the payoff to Cena overcoming the cabinet? Um, all the interference, Cena finding a way to survive JBL's uh interference and 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 weapons and and cheating like all that stuff like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna have Cena beat JBL then you overbook this main event and you Smackdown main event and you have Cena be the guy to finally figure it out to have the formula and go full super Cena uh which they're gonna have no problem going with uh very quickly after this so like what did we just sit through if none of that's gonna like get paid off if Cena's not going to have to overcome any of that and run through all them dudes too. Like that's why they're there. So the match itself, it's slow. It's boring. It's unfocused. 
and the finish comes out of nowhere and not in a good way, like, I think they got a hard out. Um, that's what it seemed like to me because, I mean, they go home when the match feels like it's halfway through. So, yeah, I didn't think this match served John Cena any purpose at all. It is a sad, sad end to JBL's pretty good reign, uh, better than I remember it being uh, for the time. Uh, it's a sad end to that, and to put all that time and investment in JBL in the cabinet, and this is the payoff, and for how behind uh, Cena the people are, just none of it worked. So, uh, two for me. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if his whole reign wasn't built around that angle, you could say, okay, but like, it's legitimately his whole reign. Every pay-per-view we saw him, the story was, how am I going to survive this? This is the end of my reign. We're going to have a funeral. Like, he's always outsmarting guys or outnumbering them or honky-tonk manning it, right? I mean, that's what we've seen constantly. Every time. Big Show, Taker, Booker. You know, it's like that's been what, and Eddie, that's, that's been what he's done. Yep. So... It was just weird that all of a sudden they deviate and like Cena just beats him in 10 minutes. Like, okay. <laughs> like it's like Cena like crushes him with some, you know, kill shot move either. It's just a freaking no. FU. It's, it's not like that impressive. Maybe no. if it does like a super FU through, through a table or something or off the top, like whatever, maybe then. Right. But it's just weird. It's, it's such a weird approach that they took. Yeah. Well, that takes us to our true main event of the evening. It is for the world heavyweight championship. It is the tr- the final implosion of evolution. Uh, the last uh, last piece they're going to battle here, as it is our Royal Rumble winner, Big Daddy Dave Batista, taking on the World Heavyweight Champion Triple H. Uh, and uh, Batista is going to pick up the big win. He's going to be our new World Heavyweight Champion. Um, we see the path uh, fulfilled for Dave, coming off of the big Royal Rumble win and seeing him show up on SmackDown. Of course, there is the big uh contract signing uh in the build up to this which i absolutely love it's iconic even it's uh the big thumbs thumbs up thumbs down paying off or playing off of the uh evolu- first evolution implosion when they kick Randy out of the group the match itself it's all right um it almost feels like it doesn't matter that Batista's in there it feels like it, this is a match where Triple H is going to have this match no matter who he's in there with. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think there's a clothesline that Batista hits and that truly levels Triple H and the audience comes alive. It's just such an overpowering move. Other than that, there's lots of stuff in this match that just doesn't fit a 300-pound <laughs> jacked-up monster like Batista. Like, he's... Why is Dave Batista... Mm-hmm. doing a slingshot or catapult, whatever you want to call it. Why is he performing a catapult on the ring steps onto Triple H um, into the ring post? And, like, that's how he busted him open. Like, wouldn't it just be cooler if Batista just, like, hit Triple H in the head with his fist and then Triple H starts spilling blood? Like, that does a lot more good than uh, an action figure spot with Batista. And there's just there's other examples like that throughout the match where it just it doesn't fit Batista. It's it's a Triple H. It, it serves the purpose of Triple H. Like it's it's his style of match, and it's kind of served to make him look good in putting Batista over. And it's just it's not what this is about. So I went two and a half. 
it is a little bit more exciting than our previous contest, but the problems between the two uh, are similar and they're consistent. So I, I think anticlimactic ending for both of our champions and both of our challengers and new champions each get a match where it doesn't really set them up well moving forward. And the match, it's not one that's going to be replayed as a classic where this is this is where they became the guy. Um, it doesn't it doesn't serve either Cena or Batista. So two and a half for me. Yeah, you summed it up well. I went two seven five. Uh, yeah, both both feel similar. Both are anticlimactic given the builds. Both would go on to have better, you know, brawling rematches in months to come. I'm gonna say the same talking point for a lot of manias that we talk about, Marcus. Uh, 22 minutes this match goes. And I don't know how this guy keeps finding himself in the same repeatable spot as much as he does, but it is a trend with Triple H consistently that all these main event matches he finds himself in a mania all should really end with him being squashed. And I don't know, if, I don't know what it is, but even if just one of them was that, then maybe we wouldn't keep lumping it in with all the other ones. The trend kind of started at WrestleMania 18. Um, I'm not saying he should have been squashed there. He should have won, but it should have been more of a aggressive match. I mean, the match, the story they tell in that match is fine. It's just after Hogan Rock, they just had no chance, right? Um, Booker should have beat him at 19, given the storyline. Then we get to this, and it's like, Batista has been built up as this rage-filled animal that you've kept caged up. He looked like a monster at Elimination Chamber. He looked like a monster at the Rumble. He's being built up as the beast. You're closing the show with him. It's a very easy story to tell. Batista, you know, Triple H attacks the bell. Batista ducks, slugs him, gut, powerbomb, over. You have your megastar built. Triple H can say, all right, I, I shouldn't. I was too aggressive. Batista knows me inside and out. You know, he knew I was going to do that. He called me off guard. Boom. Here's your backlash rematch. And then you can get your 20-minute fuck fest in at that one. Like, this show is way better if you do that. Or if you do the brawl we just talked about seeing a JBL, even if you do it for this, where it's a no holds barred, flares out there, he gets a shit pushed in. You know, it's it's they're fighting all around the ring. Like, there's just different ways they could have went about it. Instead, they give us two title matches that are essentially the same template. One doubles up the other in length. But it's just plotting basic wrestling when both called for some sort of kind of crazy over-the-top stuff. Right, yep. So both these guys get crowned, but both matches end up being kind of fart bombs and honestly end up dragging down this mania. Yeah. More than it should have, because it it does hold up. It's a great show. Um, It's loaded. It's got, you know, three matches uh, for both of us that are four and a quarter and above. So, you know, and Taker Orton's a quarter star short on my end of being another all-timer, right? So we get two all-timers, one that's close, a great opener. Uh, the bad stuff to the main events were, were quick. Akabono, Big Show, and Trish Christie were very short. You had the Hogan moment, right? So there's like so much fun stuff in there and a really strong mania. If just one of those title matches delivers, we're probably looking at a much more upper echelon on the all-time mania hierarchy. That said, 
I have a feeling it could still finish pretty high for us because there's a ton of moments that we just talked about. So let's see. Uh, so our match grade uh, total war is 5.5, which is very high for these. Um, so it's going to score well just based on that alone. Like, where do you know that? You're getting over five total because everything, you know, was really, really strong match-wise. That's our highest of the season, I believe, by quite the margin, too. Yeah. So it's they put their in-ring best out at this show. All right, let's get into our categories, and we'll see how the rest of the show fares. Uh, here's what we gave plus points for on the build. We gave two points. Uh, so just for those that are new, you can get up to three. So anywhere from one, two, or three for these, depending on importance or um, just how much it resonated. We gave two points for the classic WrestleMania movie reenactments. Uh, those are beloved at the time. They hold up well. They show them here. We even get a new one with the Gladiator to start the show. Uh, they're probably some of those memorable WrestleMania-specific promo builds that they've ever done and they did a lot of them and every week there was anticipation for the new one too so it was part of the hype of the show was to see what movie they were going to spoof next there's some classic ones with the um i'll have what she's having in the restaurant like that's really good um there's the eddie guerrero and booker t doing the pulp fiction's a really good one um the taxi driver is great where they're all auditioning for the role, you know, for the main role in taxi driver, mm-hmm. uh, Forrest Gump with Eugene, like this, there's so many really good ones that just jump right to the top of your head as you go through them. So I think those held up really well. Yep. Absolutely. Cena and JBL as well doing the, um, Oh yeah. It's a few, few good men. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. So there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in those. Definitely very memorable. Uh, a point for the Batista Triple H contract signing, where Batista finally reveals he's going to challenge him on Raw for the Raw title and not SmackDown. Uh, the first ever Money in the Bank, you know, the build to that was pretty good. Jericho pitching the idea to Bischoff as a way to, you know, debut this gimmick and get all the guys in there for the this concept. Randy Orton being on the quest to kill the biggest legend of Mania to reestablish himself and getting his dad involved. Uh, we talked about the angle of Michael's build with Janetti and Sherry and the trying to outdo each other. Uh, and that included Sean dressing as the cameraman and attacking Angle. Uh, a point for the classic Hall of Fame class, adding a special feel to the build and then weaving them in uh, throughout the nights. And then also uh, not just a point for the first ever Money in the Bank, but also a point to Jericho for creating it, you know, being pitched as a concept, because that ends up being something he brings up for years and years and years after. Mm-hmm. So what do we have for minuses for a build? All right. Our first minus is the WWE Tag Team Champions fighting at WrestleMania for the first time ever. They made a really big deal of that uh, on commentary and in the build-up, and I, just because it's the first time ever doesn't mean it should happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, did, I didn't care for it. Uh, Eddie chasing Ray for a win instead of the other way around, as we talked about. Christy Hemming becoming uh, the proxy for an injured Lita. We rattled off a couple of uh, more suitable replacements. Aki Bono in the uh, Big Show weigh-in, 503 versus 493. Uh, we did get Big Show flipping over the Jeep, uh, which neither of us really super cared about, but it was something that they did. Hassan wanting his WrestleMania moment. Oh, boy. Uh, this might be one of the first instances uh, where that's really hammered. Mm-hmm. Um, and being excluded uh, like he's missing out on a, uh, a dance at prom. We've got the Edge super heel push started to feel a little bit forced uh, and, and, and tilting a little bit. Uh, feels like we haven't really moved too far from the Rumble. And Orton microwaved heel turn by attacking Stacy, and it is a, a pretty desperate tactic to try to save him. 
So there was a lot of good build, but also a lot of shaky build that we weren't super hot on. Uh, so we ended up going two overall on Bill. Commentary, a uh, lot going on here. A point for uh, all of the means. So great to open the show. And that includes Hugo Savinovich and Carlos Cabrera. Uh, there was a hot vibe. There's urgency. They really set the tone with all six guys kind of rattling off what they were looking forward to. On the night ahead, uh, a point for the urgency and character motivations for Money in the Bank by JR. Really goes in on uh, everything they, co- you know, playing a role in that match. Taz and Cole uh, were really good during the Undertaker-Orton match. They put over the streak, Taker's victims, and uh, Orton, how he's killed off legends in the past. They put over Orton and Taker's accolades at Mania as well, going into individual strategies. Uh, It really made it feel even. So we actually gave two points overall for all the work by Cole and Taz during that match. Uh, A point for uh, the work during Angle and Michaels from J.R. and King. They were on point in that. Uh, And a point for Taz and Cole really going in on the strategy of the sumo match. They talked a lot about the movements and the way they were working the match uh, really kind of helped carry that along. And then finally a point for JR's full on hardcore God mode cell of Batista at the end. (laughs) The animal. Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. Um, For our minuses, we've got Cole overselling first time ever for the tag team champions facing off. Uh, Taz and Cole puzzled by the finish of JBL and Cena. Um, again, it seems like maybe the the match ended early and neither uh, Taz or Cole were, were prepared for it. We've got Cole's force call of Cena winning. Uh, he's really trying to uh, make it sound like Cena won the World Series. And, of course, uh, a constant, unfortunately, this season has been Creepy King during the women's match. All right. So that nets out to a three for commentary. So not bad for this season. Um, you know, we've tended to see the raw commentary usually sags a bit, but the SmackDown commentary is usually positive. So that kind of shows here. Atmosphere. Big chop, big chance here. Uh, we get a point for the Hollywood theme set, which is like great. A point for the hot crowd during Ray and Eddie. A point for all the big and brutal uh, money in the bank spots that popped the crowd. A point for the monster Hogan pop, just an all timer. A pop for everyone's gear. Everyone looked great here. Almost everyone had something new uh, on point, looking clean for Mania. A point for all the Hollywood stars that we kept pointing out in the crowd, even even including Rob Schneider. Uh, A point for the classic Undertaker entrance. Looks like he's floating to the ring with all the smoke. A point for the fantastic crowd reaction to the closing stretch of Orton Taker. Added so much to the teases that Orton could end the streak. Uh, A point for the really good split crowd vibe from Michaels and Angle. This is really 50-50. A point for the Austin pop and all the what's when Piper's talking. Uh, a point for the JBL motorcade entrance and the money falling down. It's kind of a nice touch for his storyline that he's had all season. Uh, a point for the motorhead entrance for Triple H. It's always cool to see them play live. And then a point for the huge pop when Batista wins the title. So it was a really good show when you look at the atmosphere. The crowd was lit. The set was cool. Um, everything just looked great. So really you know, drove a lot of the positivity in this show. Yeah, I think this is the WrestleMania where Edge kind of uh, pokes at Triple H a little bit for having uh, the Motorhead entrance and the lights and the pop-up stage uh, as the heel champion <laughs> uh, for his match with Batista and how that's not really a, a real heel. And, uh, of course, this is where Lemmy uh, infamously forgets many of the lyrics for uh, for the game. Uh, but for our minuses, we've got the crowd seeming to be a bit down for Cena's entrance win and boring chance during the match uh the crowd is fully checked out on eugene at this point uh for that segment the crowd has no interest in christy hemi 
and uh, the buzz turns to a restless anger during the slow sumo match start. Uh, but that's it. Strong showing here. Nine plus nine for atmosphere. Mm. So, all right. Uh, for those new to the show, this next category seems to be the key driver in the success of a lot of pay-per-views. It's notable moments and importance. Uh, as great as matches are in the grading system that goes into it for us, weighs in it's really what we've seen the big shows pop when there's a lot of memorable and key moments that happen on these shows right that drives uh these pay-per-views for us so let's dig in we get a point for it being eddie guerrero's final wrestlemania so sad uh for sure but you know this is it so last i get to see eddie on the big stage uh, he passes mm-hmm. away later in the year a point for hogan's comeback posing on a ramp with the flag in the background uh, a point for trisha's all-time look and the beauty shot of the fedora, the suspenders, bowing during the entrance. Yep. Her heel swag has been a, a key part of the season. It's on display here. A point for Eddie, unable to beat Ray, co- continuing to slowly erode the friendship. Uh, a point for the cool backstage meeting with Flair, Triple H, JBL on the cabinet. You know, kind of the two heel kingpins of 0405. JBL says he's the only champion in history and they never lost the world title. Triple H says that Bradshaw keeps telling himself that he's that good. Maybe someone will believe him. And then they stare down. So it kind of feels like, oh, I don't know. Maybe these guys both escape with the belt and we get some kind of weird showdown afterward. But it was a cool, cool done, cool, uh, well done moment, given how they both have dominated their shows as champions heading yeah. into this. Uh, we give three points, a full three banger for the first ever Money in the Bank. Obviously, it becomes such a huge uh, gimmick match in the future of, of the company uh, becoming its own pay-per-view eventually as well. So it's uh, it's worth the three points. It's it's pretty significant. Uh, a yeah, point I mean, for it's, yeah, good. It's just a, it's the the their biggest creation since Royal Rumble, I would say. Yep, and the ladder match in general, but yes, and Hell in a Cell as well. I mean, those are kind of the three, right? So yeah, uh, a point for the streak uh, continuing. Undertaker stays undefeated. A point for Kurt Angle tapping out Shawn Michaels and Michaels getting the standing ovations. A great moment. A point to the crowning of John Cena. We give two stars for that. Super important, obviously. A point for the crowning of Batista, paying off Evolution. Two points for that. Give a point for Edge winning Money in the Bank, which will drive the next year of stories at the world title level. A point for Hogan uh, destroying Kassan. A point for Piper's Pit, first time since WrestleMania 5. And a point for JBL's long reign finally coming to an end. I mean, that's been such a big part of the season. And then a point for the all-time Hall of Fame class. Um, you know, obviously added a lot of uh, cool vibe to the show. And um, they tied it back to WrestleMania 1 quite a bit, right? It's a, it's a WrestleMania 1 heavy class. Orndorff, Piper, Hogan, Orton, etc. So uh, that's it. A ton of positive moments, Marcus. It's, there's a lot going on in this show, up and down. They made it count. Yeah, and those first two... Hall of Fame classes at 0405. They're like real like rock and wrestling era heavy. So I just always thought that was kind of cool how they took care of those guys first. Um, you know, before they all start to slowly pass. But uh for our minuses, we've got the first time tag champs wrestle each other at WrestleMania again. We've got Lillian, who does a good job with the uh, uh with America the Beautiful. It's America the Beautiful, pal. Um, but with this event being in LA, it makes her makes it feel like they couldn't land a, a big star. Um, I guess this is before they're really in bed with like a lot of the celebrities, but uh, even so, you know, can't pull out a bigger name. Uh, we got Ray and <laughs> Ray and his stupid mask, uh, the constant fidgeting, um, not going all out with a wild brawl for JBL and Cena, uh, or really for Batista and um, Triple H either. Um, 
But for JBL and Cena, uh, that title reign for JBL deserved a bigger, a big cluster with the cabinet and a, a bigger payoff um, to that reign. Uh, a big opportunity to fully uh, remake Orton by ending the streak gets passed over. We've got bad camera angle kind of blows up that spot of the mm-hmm. angle slam to the ring post, as you mentioned. Uh, Michael la- Michael's last way too long in the ankle lock, uh, especially with the uh, grapevine and le- uh, heel hook hooked in. And it uh, definitely lose away- loses and takes away from the effectiveness. All right. So that all nets out to a plus 12, uh, which is a lot for moments. Wow. It's probably one of the highest we've had. Uh, match grades we talked about, score of five and a half. Card structure, uh, opening with two legends in a highly anticipated match, point for that. Uh, point for closing with the back-to-back title matches. You know, despite how they went on paper heading in, you would make sense to have the two big title matches close. A point for the uh, great placement of the two interpromotional matches to really lift up the middle portion of the show with Taker, Orton, and Michael's angle. And a point for the good use of Hogan to take a break after the Money in the Bank match. So... Uh, card is structured really well here. This is the two minute just didn't deliver. Yeah, we'll get into it here. Um, there was a long stretch with the uh, Piper's Pit and Sumo match being back to back. Slows down uh, the back end of the card a little bit, especially when it's like really a hot stretch. It really cools mm-hmm. things off. Um, JBL and Cena being a straight wrestling match instead of having a, a wild, desperate JBL throwdown uh, just really made no sense for everything that we've seen so far this season. Um, Batista and Triple H going way too long, uh, too much drama, and uh, really just not enough beast mode from Batista. Uh, I don't know why we have to see Batista try to sell, yeah. um, you know, like he's Bret Hart or something. Uh, that's not his lane. It's not who he is. You know, like you said, just commit and, and you know, if you need to make an extended squash and do it. But uh, well, like, put- yeah, the last eight minutes of the match were fine. Like, if that's the whole match, we're good. Mm-hmm. We just didn't need the first 10 or 12. Yeah, Batista hits that clothesline. It's like, okay, like mm-hmm. this is <laughs> why can't we just get straight to this? Yeah. Um, we've got the Hall of Fame segment late, um, and it being so late in the night, it might have uh, muted some of the pops that it might have got earlier. Um, Triple H having a rock concert and <laughs> full entrance, uh, and Batista just kind of having a basic entrance. Um, it really set the tone poorly, I think, for who was supposed to be the big star in that match. Yeah, and, I love the Motorhead entrance. Like, it's always great. But, yeah, like, this is supposed to be Batista's crowning moment. He just kind of comes out on his own quietly after that. Maybe they could have debuted his new music here. I, I don't remember when that start when they switched to that song with the... Uh, it's really close. I, yeah. I think we're just weeks away. Right, so, like, do that here. Like, you know, at least then it feels hot off a of Motorhead. Instead, it's just got, like, his little heel theme. You know, still, instead of the I Walk Alone, so... It would have been a cool time to debut that. So then that's up to a uh, negative one. So that's really the only real down point so far of the night. Rewatchability gave a point for the chokeslam RKO counter, a point for Michaels and Angle going through the table. And then, yeah, it took away from the, you know, Batista a little bit, but rewatchability is great. Like the Hunter entrance with Motorhead's worth a rewatch. It's really good. It looks like I Walk Alone debuts in May. Looks like he has a TV match against Hassan on Raw. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's close. Close enough. Make it work. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for pluses. Oh, great. Um, let's get into the minuses. We've got uh, the pit with uh, Austin Carlito and, and Roddy Piper. Disappointed just a little bit. Uh, should have been an all-time classic segment, uh, especially the way it was built up. 
and then uh, Akibono in his uh, competition gear, let's say. <laughs> yeah, we need that. Uh, so that's a plus one. We had two all-time matches, so plus two there. Money in the Bank and Michael's Angle. And Marcus brings us to a total grade of Uh-oh. 33 and a half. Oh. So that's a big boy right there. Uh, it is now our third highest ranked show. Wow. Behind SummerSlam 99 at 38.25 and Royal Rumble 05 at 36 and a half. This clock's in 33 and a half. Uh, so a little autopsy, right? I mean, notable moments and atmosphere really drive it, plus the strong matches. What hurts it is some of the card play structure. Uh, I think the two main events not clicking really, you know, ends up pulling it down. Some of the commentary stuff, some of the, the build, right? If you have a full-on better build to everything. This wasn't that far off for being our top show. It's really just those two main events um, and the way they structured some of the stuff within the car. Like, if those deliver, we're, we're talking our number one show right now. I mean, yeah. And, you know, I really blame <laughs> put, put the put the blame on uh, those two main events. Like, mm-hmm. if one of them under delivers, all right. But both of them, um, yeah, it, it really hurts this card. Like, you're going to have filler on just about almost any show. And all the filler here was okay. Um, you know, Akibono, Big Show, I guess, was the big dinger. But, yeah, those two those two world title matches not being able to really pull up the rest of the card um, and really help bring it down, um, that really hurts. But besides all that... Um, We've got an all-time show. I mean, it's top three for us. Um, we've got two amazing matches, two all-time matches. Uh, Undertaker and Orton's just right there. Um, so, I mean, you're talking three matches that are all four and above for this time period. Um, that's really awesome. And the other thing I took away from this was how dedicated they've been to the brand split this season. And while we do have some clunker pay-per-views like Great American Bash 04, uh, like Taboo Tuesday, if the end result is a road to WrestleMania like this, um, then like it was, it was all worth it. Uh, I will gladly take some lower shows where you're figuring out mm-hmm. who's going to get opportunity, who can grab it, who can grab the brass ring, right? Um, and and give that time to your young stars and, you know, let guys figure it out and let guys have these super competitive matches like um, Cena and um, Rene Dupree. Was that Judgment Day? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was so. Judgment Day. Like they had, what was it, three and a quarter, three and a half for like no reason. Um, like that was awesome. So it was cool to see stuff like that this season and to have it all build up and pay off with a really huge almost like Super Bowl type event uh, with this WrestleMania. Uh, I thought it really added to the entire aura of the show. And this this whole project, uh, doing this with you, really changed my mind about this WrestleMania. This one was always kind of like a non-preferred for me. Like, I wouldn't say it was bad. It was just not one I would go back and watch. But um, doing this, doing this uh, project with you, it's definitely changed my mind. And um, I think it's going to be in my rotation when I'm putting WrestleManias on to fall asleep on the couch. Yeah, um, and this season, which I think coming in, we would have thought is maybe, you know, kind of middling, ends up giving us two of our top three pay-per-views with the Rumble and Mania. So, pretty cool. 
um, to see it finish that high. I think, you know, we had some other surprising ones too, like Sorry Series of Backlash finished high, mm-hmm. Judgment Day finished kind of high as well. So we really had a couple stinkers with, you know, Taboo Tuesday and Armageddon and Unforgiven. Like those three were really the bad end of it. The rest were middle high. So ended up being a pretty interesting season for sure with a great closing stretch. Uh, no way out was shaky, but, you know, Mania and Rumble completely delivered for sure for us. All right. Why don't we get to our year end awards, Marcus, and then we could wrap things up and put a bow on this. All right, our MVP of the year uh, would be basically the guy, uh, you know, that we thought had the best season overall, right? Who do we enjoy the most? Who accomplished the most? Who stood out the most? Um, I know the year didn't end as well for him. Well, I shouldn't say end. The stretch up until the finish may have been a little shaky for him, but he was great early, finished strong, uh, was kind of the bellwether of Raw for most of the year on the face side, and that's Randy Orton. Yeah, uh, as we do this, it's more apparent that, like, the company really struggles with booking somebody well, like, start to finish for a season. Mm-hmm. Um, Orton definitely had a cold stretch from, you know, Unforgiven through maybe Rumble, uh, Rumble or so, but uh, he's still having good matches. Um, they're just not reaching the level they should be, and uh, he recovers well. Like, excellent match with uh, Undertaker mm-hmm. to end a year excellent match with uh foley to start the year and i just couldn't see this season happening without him i thought he was our mvp i think the other thing too is like no one else had the longevity that he pieced together so even with that down stretch you're still talking of the 12 months he's you know it's four down so he's still eight out of 12 were very strong for the most part everyone else that you would think had a great performance here and there, didn't have a, as complete of a year, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right, Shawn Michaels has good, some good stuff, a couple great stuff, but he also had the hell on a cell. Um, you know, it, it, and he didn't, you know, he was banged up toward the end of the year, not at SummerSlam. Like, so his year is kind of incomplete and it's got an all-time bad with the cell. Triple H, I don't think we even need to get into all the bad there. Um you know, Jericho was very, very good. I think we were close to, you know, mentioning yeah, him yeah. in this. But even he has a little bit of a slide and isn't presented as much as top of the card as Orton is. Uh, Batista doesn't get hot till late. Angle is out for a big chunk of the year, and he doesn't get hot till later either. JBL, you know, was obviously he's in there all year, but match-wise, didn't quite deliver. Um, Booker tapered off. RVD tapered off. So, really, Orton was the most consistent overall. I, I think. Yeah, I think Jericho is probably the other one you could you could maybe make the argument for that was close as far as consistency. I think Orton just had the higher highs. Uh, Benoit, too, is up there. Uh, he dipped a little in the fall as well. But I'd say Benoit and Jericho probably had the next best case um, as far as consistency and, and high-quality stuff. But I think Orton has the, the Foley match, uh, you know, was awesome. And um, the edge stuff was really good. The Benoit match is awesome. So he just had a couple of real high quality things. Yeah. And he's good in that Survivor Series match, too. Yep. All right. And it's pointed out here because our Silver Slugger, which is the highest uh, match average, uh, wrestler of the highest match average of the season, is Randy Orton. His average match grade was 3.725. So, I mean, that's 
that's pretty damn good. It's it's over three and a half. He averaged, and he's on like every pay per view, at least that Raw's involved in. So it's not like he's only has four matches or something like that. So that that's pretty damn good for him. Yep. Um, yeah. Again, I think Jericho was close, but he just doesn't have the high highs. Like nobody had the highs high uh, the the highs as high as Orton did this season. Right. Just put him over over the top. All right, our Vin Scully, which is the best announcer of the season. I think this is a pretty obvious one. Uh, we decided on Taz. Uh, he, he was awesome on SmackDown. Uh, him and Cole were the better team by far, but it's really mm-hmm. driven off of his work. Um, a brilliant mix of just comedy and straight lace calling matches and getting over angles and getting over holds and psychology. He's just, he's just a fantastic announcer. Yeah, his psychology or his breakdown of match psychology uh, was really cool to listen to uh this season like for the cruiserweight matches talking about like the differences between the two cruiserweights and how they they use their you know high flying in different ways or how they use their mat techniques and uh there's other examples like that as the season went on uh so yeah well learned for the red hook rocket taz all right our lvp uh who we decided to be the uh, worst performer of the season we ended up going with triple h and, you know, there are other guys like Eugene and some others that were just, you know, drags that we did not enjoy at all throughout the season. But Triple H really did a lot of damage in this year. I, I think everyone thinks of 03 is kind of the damaging year, but this is 0405. There's a lot of problems. I mean, the, the Hell in a Cell is terrible. Uh, the match we just talked about, which should have been more of a squash of Batista, uh, beating Orton, you know, like three weeks after he wins the world title and after Benoit put him over twice on back-to-back nights was bad. Um, killing Eugene at SummerSlam was an all-time bad. So he's just got like just some real bad shit in this season, both booking-wise, you know, is damaging and in-ring. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, again, if you're gonna be that dominating in the main event scene, like, who did he make? Who did he help this season? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I can't can't name anybody. Uh, didn't even help himself either. So, yeah, no, uh, no love there for Triple H's our LVP. And uh, did we officially give out our Mendoza award? No, it was headed there next. So for right. Mendoza award is the uh, opposite of the Silver Slugger. So it's the lowest average match grade of uh, any wrestler, and that was Eugene with an average match of uh, 1.53. <laughs> so pretty low for Eugene. Um, you know, we, we talked about it quite a bit throughout the season. I don't think we have to dissect him again here, but just a guy who was not really ever put in a position to deliver great matches, um, but just a lot of stinkers and just not someone that we really enjoyed. Nope. Cosine. All right. Best individual performance. We went with Randy Orton at Backlash uh, against Foley. He was fantastic in that match, taking the thumbtacks, and it really like put him over um, as a legitimate star. Like That was a star maker match for him. Yep. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the other other uh, matches and moments or performances that uh, kind of touched us this season. But um, outside of Money in the Bank, I don't think anything came as close as Horton uh, here. My boy Randy. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe say Angle in the Mania match. Um, I mean, even the Rumble didn't have anyone. The Rumble was great, but the Rumble match itself didn't have like a big standout guy. No. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, rookie of the year. So this is anyone that did not uh, have a match on pay-per-view prior to this season at all. We actually didn't have a ton of options no. this season. There weren't a lot of rookies. Um, we had like Christy, we had Daniel Pewter, uh, and then our eventual winner, Gene Snitsky, <laughs> who won this award. Uh, obviously, Snitsky is very limited, um, but he did have the fun match with Kane at Taboo Tuesday. Uh, and then flipped him over on the stretcher. So that alone, and plus all the poems with Heide Reich and the creepiness, I guess, maybe make it worthwhile. But, um, yeah, there was really not. I mean, it was really slim pickings. Yeah, Kenzo Suzuki um, might be our runner-up, but mm. just didn't have anything with near the impact of uh, Gene Snitsky punning a baby. Right. <laughs> all right, uh, most main events, Triple H with seven. Not a surprise there. Uh, most matches won John Cena with eight. I don't, hmm. I don't know if that would have jumped out at first, thinking of this season, that he would have the most matches won. Um, but he is. So there you go. Most title matches, JBL was in nine title matches throughout the year, and they're all world title matches. So uh, that's pretty big uh, company yeah. there. Nine title matches, world title matches. Pretty much uh, champion that whole time. So uh, Most matches lost is Kane with six. Not as much as Edge's 10 in 99, 2000. <laughs> Good chunk. Uh, best crowd, we went the Puerto Rico crowd at New Year's Revolution 05. Uh, they were yeah. just red hot. We talked about it a lot when we did that show. Yeah, they, they were awesome. just red hot the whole night. They added so much vibe to the atmosphere. Yep. Uh, all right. Our all-star team. So our top five workers of the season, the top five guys that we enjoyed the most uh, as we watched. We have Randy Orton, obviously. Uh, we have two guys we mentioned earlier, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. We have Eddie Guerrero and Batista as the five we went with. Any comments on those five? Uh, I think a glaring uh, omission is John Cena. But mm-hmm. just looking at our top five, um, you know, Orton, Orton's our MVP. He's also our silver slugger. Jericho was our runner-up and probably very close with Silver Slugger, if I had to guess. Eddie was just so good um, throughout the whole season, no matter what role he was in. Super versatile uh, and brought up every every segment, every match that he was in. Uh, Benoit was excellent in ring, and he has mm-hmm. a great match with Orton at SummerSlam. And as far as, like, you think of guys, like, leveling off after a title win, Benoit's was pretty good. Um, like he's naturally going to, you know, level off a little bit. He's not the, um, he's not going to headline another pay-per-view after he loses the title, but he's still legit. Um, whether he's opening the show mm-hmm. in a tag match or, you know, he's in the semi-main event, he never feels that far behind, uh, from where he was. And of course we've got Batista and just Batista's star power, his presence, um, his connection with the crowd even at this point, which is something I didn't necessarily remember being greater than Cena's, but I think in every category, Batista just um, outdoes Cena. Yep, agree. Cena had a lot of mid-matches too, like mm-hmm. all the Dupree stuff, the Booker matches are super disappointing, the Carlito matches are right. Uh, it's just not a lot there in ring. He's on his right match with Dupree. The I was a big fan of the Judgment Day match, but yeah, it was fine. The I angle match was best. No way out. That's his best match of the season, yeah. for sure. 
Uh, yeah, and Guerrero, you know, we talked about him earlier in the MVP discussion, but he's got the two really uh, good JBL matches. He's got the Angle match, the SummerSlam. Uh, he's got the Ray match. So, you know, he, he's great in the Rumble, too. So he tapers a bit, but he still delivers, as usual. Yep. All right, our bottom five, and we'll get out of here. Triple H, obviously. Uh, Eugene, talked about Triple him. Triple H. Uh, the Dudley Boys. We didn't talk a lot about them, but they had the all-time bad with Taker at uh, Great American Bash. They just feel so bland. Spike is carrying them by the end. Just they feel so washed out. Uh, not enjoyable at all. Hardcore Holly, who just you know, really on the back of the rubble bullying that we just despised. Uh, so you know, he gets on pretty much for that, but he didn't really capture the imagination otherwise either. And then Booker T, we ended up putting on the list. It felt dirty to do but i don't know like he just completely faded they move him to smackdown he talks himself up as like the you know the the kingpin coming over there that he's too big of a star for uh smackdown is belong there but then he doesn't do anything yeah he doesn't do anything he's got the match with taker it kind of goes nowhere the cena feud is kind of whatever then they turn to face again the JBL matches just kind of are there. He doesn't he's not even on Mania. <laughs> like it's it's a real bad year for Booker. Yeah, he's just done. He's I don't know if done, but he's just not the dude that he was even in you know as soon as like o two o three. Um, he's just not that dude anymore. Uh, I think his body is is pretty beat up. He's that I mean those Cena matches those were a dread to get through. Um, and they get worse as they go along. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of a best of five or seven series where that's the case. Like <laughs> you're right. defying science. Like you should very easily be getting better as you go along. But um, yeah, no love, no love for the Booker man here. I mean, looking back, I am surprised. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't leave for like TNA earlier. A lot sooner, yeah. I mean, he sticks around another two years. I know that he gets reborn a bit in 06, but um, not a bit, quite a bit. Um, but I'm surprised that he didn't bail out here in 05 after this. I wonder, and this is a, a conversation I have with uh, some other friends frequently, that Christian Cage defection from mm-hmm. WWE to TNA, I think is a way bigger deal um, than what people remember. Because he's right. the first guy who has the guts to kind of willingly leave and not resign um and kind of just take a a pretty cemented role uh, mm-hmm. and go challenge himself for for more it's not like he got released because uh you know whatever situations or accusations like he made the choice like i'm going out of here i'm raising my stock and then i'm gonna yep. revisit with my contracts up yep no it was a big deal i mean it was kind of the xbox of 98 right when he jumps over kind of starts the floodgates so booker would eventually follow all right so that does it for awards uh the final piece of business here is that the 2004 five season finishes third for us of our all-time seasons just based on average score <coughs> average war score pay-per-view so our bottom one is 85 86 that's got four and a half points 94 95 at five and a six uh, 5.6 average score 11 12 had a 10.2 average score and then comes 0405 with a 12.6 average score. 99-2000 had a 17.8 average. And then our number one dog right now, 1819 NXT, 
season with 21.3 average pay-per-view score. So, mm-hmm. oh, 405 shows pretty well. I mean, it's, you know, it's up there. I think it ended up being a lot more uh, positive and enjoyable than we anticipated going in. Yeah, I'm maybe just naturally nostalgic for this time period, but um, it, it delivered. The characters were fun. Seeing, seeing very openly like they are giving opportunity or opportunities available to move up the card. Um, you know, we see Edge move. We see Jericho even move a little bit. We see Christian, uh, Batista and Cena, of course. We see some guys fail, like Kendo Suzuki and Luther Reigns, unfortunately. Um, you know, some of those guys aren't there towards the end of the season. So uh, it was definitely a happening. Um, and I was able to... to learn and grow a new appreciation for a couple shows too yep agreed all right marcus our sixth season is wrapped so we'll be back in two weeks we'll start our brand new season it's always exciting to kick off a new one uh so we'll uh, keep you all in the dark on that surprise you in two weeks time with our next season as you know we usually jump around a little bit so you know it won't be anything too close to 405 we try to mix it up so stay tuned for that and everything else we have on north south connection podcast network Appreciate all the downloads, the shares, the listens, the feedback. Everyone out there that takes the time to listen to any shows that we produce. Uh, we're super thankful for all of you. And uh, thankful for you as well, Marcus. Thank you. All right. We're out. Everyone, remember, live your life above replacement level. We'll talk to you in two weeks.